0: Good morning to each of you. It's a blessing to be here. It's a, a surprise that we get to see and meet more of you than I thought we might. So it's a blessing to be here and to see the house filled this morning. Invite like you to turn to the book of First John, chapter one, a familiar portion of Scripture. First John, chapter one, verse seven. I thought it was interesting this morning that Brother Gerald read that verse from those verses from ephesians and his emphasis being on christ the cornerstone and how the church is built upon him and he talked about the churches as being a body or a building and uh, that's uh, i thought it was an excellent introduction to the message here this morning 1 John chapter 1, verse 7 says this, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, usually when I read that verse, my focus goes upon the light. And that's, I suppose that's right. That is the emphasis here. But this morning I'd like us for us to notice that phrase right in the middle of this verse. Because we're walking in the light, if we walk in the light... We have fellowship one with another. Thinking this morning about fellowship. The reason we can have fellowship one with another is because we can walk in the light. Notice verse 3. In thinking about fellowship, he mentions fellowship twice in verse 3. That which we have heard, seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. Truly our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. Fellowship with God and fellowship with fellow believers. Now we know that fellowship with God is vital to the Christian's life. But fellowship with fellow believers is also important. And that's the subject in this message here this morning. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. and The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Fellowship, what is that? How does that look? How does that act? That's something that uh, at home we've, we've emphasized, and I suppose you have here as well. The importance of fellowship. But you know, even though we, we know that this is important, we all need it, and yet we need reminders, we need encouragement. It's something that doesn't just happen all by itself. We need to work at it and uh, to invest. And fellowship and brotherhood is much more than just what we receive. That's part of it. But fellowship and brotherhood is what we invest in the lives of others as well. It goes both ways. I suppose the opposite of brotherhood would maybe be the word isolation. And in fact, that's the, the title of my message this morning Isolation versus Brotherhood. Let me tell you a true story. 1972, some of us are around then. Uh, 1972, there's a man by the name of Mitchell Sh- uh, Sifri, something like that. He was a man that, from France, a scientist, and he was interested in and he studied caves. He's one of those guys that spent a lot of time underground. In 1972, this man, Mitchell, went into a cave in Texas uh, to to spend six months in total isolation, total isolation. And his goal was to to see how the human body and mind reacts to total isolation. Now put yourself in this man's shoes. How, How would you like this to be you? He spent six months there, no way of knowing whether it's daylight or dark, what time of the day, what day it was. Uh, No human noises or routines besides his own to clue him in on what time of the day it was or what day of the week it was. All of that was taken away. He did have contact with his staff above ground by telephone. But they did it so he didn't realize. He he had no way of knowing who was on the shift to answer the phone or what time of the day it was or anything. It's all an experiment. And some of you older ones may remember this. National Geographic did an article on this man. And maybe you remember the the pictures of this uh, bearded guy with the wires attached to his head. Uh, That happened in, in the early 1970s. I remember that article. And you may wonder why. Well, you we have to remember this was during the Cold War and space exploring was happening and was very important in many people's minds. And the military and, and the space programs, those people were very interested in what happens to somebody in total isolation. Um, the Navy was interested because they wanted to know how, how long can they send a sailor in a submarine How long can he be out there and retain his sanity and so on? And what happens to the human mind and body during during extended isolation? Suppose today we'd be traveling to Mars for vacation. You know, what would happen as you went through long periods of time in isolation? You know, you and I all have our routines. You might not think about it, but we do. Um... We kind of blend our routines with the things that we're used to. The sun came up this morning, just like we expected it to. God can change that. But uh, routine, we it's a, it's a part of our life, whether we think about it or not. Sunday mornings, here we are. Although maybe if you're from the chapel, your routine has been broken a little this morning. But, you know, get up at a certain time, you go to work or you go to school or, you know, supper times at certain time and so you begin preparation for that you know we have these routines Monday's wash day whatever it is this experiment with Mitchell took all of that away he ate when he was hungry he slept when he was tired he done experiments he kept very careful records of everything that he did and even what he thought he exercised he he read books And he kept records of his weight and his pulse, um, even his state of mind. And he had these wires attached to his head, monitoring his muscle activity and his brain and and heart activity and so on. Well, the first two months went pretty good. He was a very dedicated man to his experiment, his research. He was very motivated. He read a lot and he exercised, (coughs) kept all his records, did pretty well for a while. But on day 79, his, his sanity began to break and crack. Uh, no surprise to me, but he became extremely depressed, especially after his record player broke. He could no longer listen to his favorite music. The mildew began to um, ruin his magazines and his books and the scientific equipment and so on, and he even pondered suicide. For a while, he had a little mouse that would visit him, trying to steal his food. And Mitchell, in his isolation, uh, treasured this contact with another something that had life. Obviously not a human being, and some of us can't imagine treasuring meeting a mouse, I suppose. But in his isolation, this was a big deal. One day he tried to capture this mouse to make it a pet but he accidentally killed it with a dish when he was trying to capture this mouse and it devastated this man. He was overwhelmed almost with grief and guilt. He lost all sense of time. Even his day count was way off. He later wrote that During this time of complete isolation, he experienced wounds of the mind that he still does not understand today, as you can imagine. Well, we all know that way back in the beginning of time, God said, it's not good for man to be alone. And I suppose he had in reference, had in mind uh, the, the whole marriage, man and a wife thing. But beyond that, God made people to need people. And I think you and I would find that to be true if you were in a cave for six months. I hope we wouldn't take that for us to understand that truth. God made us as people to need other people, just the way God made us. Now, I believe that God, in His Word, made it, has made it clear that we as Christians are not to be a part of the world. We know that. 2 uh, Corinthians 6, 17, wherefore come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean, and I will receive you. God wants us to be different. wants us to be um, a part of His kingdom and not a part of the kingdom of the world. So we're to come away from that. We're to be separate from that. But I believe that Scripture is also clear that generally speaking, the Christian life is not to be a solo attempt. You think about that. Generally speaking, Christian life is not to be a solo attempt. There are many, many references in Scripture speaking about brotherhood and about fellowship and about the church. One example, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, this one we know well, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as a matter of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Throughout the, the New Testament, we have early Christians gathering together. We see that over and over again. Now correct me if I'm wrong, but we never, I don't believe, we ever find New Testament Christians going off by themselves just to be a little island somewhere, in isolation to live their Christian life. Now the, the New Testament emphasis, I believe, is always fellowship, brotherhood and the importance from the the importance of, of from that gathering that brotherhood to then reach out to the world around them this is just i suppose one of the ways we differ, we differ from say like a monk living in a monastery in some isolated place trying to find god the importance of brotherhood and fellowship now of course our anabaptist forefathers were driven into isolation, into hiding, by persecution. But they long for fellowship. It's something they desired, and I think that's still true today. In Christians that are being persecuted, having to go into hiding, they long for that fellowship. And they'll take great risks sometimes to, to meet with others. It's important. It's, it's such a big need. And I think we should, too. And I find myself in our free country uh, taking fellowship to, for granted. It's so free, it's, it can happen so easily. And yet I don't see the importance of it, don't value it as I should. So I guess my challenge for us this morning, here today, is to see the dangers of isolation and then the, the blessings of fellowship and to invest in my brothers and sisters in the way that I should. Now before I talk about fellowship here this morning, let me first say that it's very possible to have a twisted idea of what fellowship really is. We need to understand what we're talking about here. It's very possible to have something we call fellowship, but in reality, it's really a gossip center and a political power system that revolves around people's selfish egos and desires rather than being true fellowship that is christ centered and centered around the word of god and a true love for each other so as i preach about brotherhood please understand what i'm talking about i'm not talking about people nosing into other people's business or looking for gossip material i'm not talking about that neither am i talking about me and my little group of people that i happen to like, my little clique. And and looking down our noses at the other people that i don't care so much for and feeling superior. Now we're talking about true brotherhood, true fellowship. 1 John chapter 3. We're here in 1 John let's go to chapter 3 verse 11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. And that verse is packed with meaning. This is a basic foundational truth that needs to be a part of our lives. This is the message that we have heard, you have heard from the beginning that you should love one another. Verse 14 and 15. We know that we have passed from death unto life because you love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Going on to verse 18, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he hath laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brother. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue but in deed and in truth going to chapter 4 verse 11 beloved if god so loved us we ought also to love one another verse 20 if a man say i love god and hateth his brother he is a liar for he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen how can he love god whom he hath not seen this and this commandment have we from him that he who loveth god love his brother also My point is in reading those verses, let us understand what true brotherhood is. Love is very central to our fellowship. Well, let's think about isolation. What does isolation do to us or tends to do to us? And I know that sometimes God calls somebody to to live and to work in a more isolated place. That's true. You think about a missionary out in the jungle somewhere, remote part of the world. Um, that can be very true in, in their lives. Thank you. Isolation is a problem for many missionaries. Sometimes someone comes to Christ and uh, with without a, a true church close by to fellowship with. We have some people in our congregation that that's exactly what happened to them. They spent a time of their life feeling very lonely and wanting, desiring, needing fellowship. And so, sometimes God allows us to be in those kind of situations. And isolation really is hard on us as human beings. You know, how would you like to live in a cave for six months in complete isolation? I know I wouldn't. I wouldn't do very well. I know our personalities are different. Some of us are more loners than others. And it's true that we all need solitude sometimes and some time alone, some space just to think and to pray and so on. That's, that's very true. It's not what I'm talking about when I think about isolation. I would tend myself to be more of a loner. I don't know why God would call a natural Loner to the ministry and working with people, I don't know that the answer to that, but I do know that God is still teaching me lessons or trying to teach me lessons about loving others, encouraging others. And so, I would just encourage you, loners out there, and I know you're out there because I know some of you are. I just want to encourage you that it is possible to learn to reach out to others, it may be awkward. It may not come very naturally, it may feel stiff and, and kind of formal, but something you can learn. And it's a worthwhile investment. There's rich blessings to those who've made that kind of commitment. Well, let's think about what isolation tends to do to us. And what I'm talking about isolation is when I choose to go out uh, some distance from my brothers and sisters. Whether that be a physical distance or just distance between us in our personalities. Willful isolation, that's what I'm talking about. Willful isolation tends to twist reality in our minds. That's my first point. And thinking about isolation. It tends to twist reality. We have this narrow view of life that's not always healthy. We only see my perspective. Remember the prophet Elijah, he was alone, and, and he thought he was the only one serving God, but his thinking wasn't accurate, and God told him so, straightened him out. And isolation tends to do that to us. We need brothers and sisters to balance us, so we have a, a right perspective. I remember seeing some guys putting up um, electric poles. Okay, And I've always wondered, how do they, how do they put those things straight? Well, it's very simple. One guy that was running the machine held up a string with a little weight tied to it, and he eyed that pole, and he moved it until it was right, then his buddy over there somewhere did the same. And so he had this perspective, he had this perspective, and they got it straight. That's a little bit the way it is with us brothers and sisters. I need you to help me get my perspective right. When we can gather around God's word and be taught and instructed and challenged. When I'm in isolation, willful isolation, my perspective is often twisted. Matthew 18, verse 5, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. He shall hear thee, thou scan thy brother. We're human, when we have problems, we have misunderstandings, we have things that we don't always agree on and so on. When I can have my brother and sister's perspective, it helps us a lot in getting a right perspective. We need each other to be able to, so we can see how things really are. Another thing that willful isolation tends to do is that it can insulate us from others. Isolation can insulate us from others can't seem to understand and, and, and sympathize. Sometimes they don't even care about the situations that other people are struggling with. Because we're focused on ourselves, that's all we can see and understand, and so we, we don't feel the, the struggles of others. We become insulated. I'm, you know, working on my problems. I expect you to work on yours, and we'll get along that way. Philippians 2 verse 4, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And I don't think the writer there is talking about being nosy or looking for gossip material. But it's, he's talking about a concern and a love for others. Some way that I can help someone else. Sometimes willful isolation is simply laziness. When I really don't want to become involved in someone else's tangles. That's happened in my life. You know, it's exhausting. It's exhausting to try to help someone who's struggling. You know, I realize we can't choose for others. But we need to be pointing the struggling one to Christ. Even when we don't have answers ourselves, point them to Christ, who does have the answers, and try to encourage them in the right path. So, sometimes, willful isolation is simply laziness. And I also want to acknowledge that sometimes willful isolation is a result of hurt and pain from something that's happened in the past. I acknowledge that. And that maybe has happened to you. <clears throat> Some of us tend to withdraw when we experience pain and be untrusting of others because people have proven to be untrustworthy in the past. And I guess my challenge, if that's your experience, is that we need to be forgiving and not let bitterness uh, eat us. It's like a cancer that eats us and and dominates and, and ruins our lives. When we nurse unforgiveness and bitterness, we tend to isolate ourselves. Ephesians 4 verse 32, Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. It's much more that could be said about the subject of forgiveness, but we must move on here. Willful isolation also makes, tends to make us self-sufficient and independent. In our world of instant information and wealth, it has produced people who are more and more isolated, isolated than probably any generation before us. In the past, you know, you think of some pioneer out in in the wilderness somewhere was isolated from his his neighbors. But in our world today, most of us don't experience that sort of isolation. But we can be very isolated, even though we have something in our pocket, probably. We can call anybody and talk to, to anybody in the world in seconds. And yet, we experience isolation, unless we work at it. Work at fellowship. Willful isolation tends to make us independent and self-sufficient. Or maybe it's the other way around. When we're self-sufficient, then we isolate ourselves, whichever way that works. When we don't need people, we we can be suspicious of others, assume things that are not true, read into their actions and, and words things that just aren't so, being pessimistic, conspiracy theory, that is far from reality i'm right and everybody else is wrong that kind of an attitude the whole attitude of self-sufficiency and independence stifles our ability to learn from others who have something to teach us first corinthians 12 verse 21 and the eye cannot say unto the hand i have no need of thee nor again the head to the feet i have no need of you scripture is clear as as i mentioned earlier the church is a body or a building is the illustration that is given in Scripture in which every part supports and helps the other. Another point, willful isolation also tends to do away with teamwork in the church. <clears throat> if we're all doing our own thing, I'll ignore you if you ignore me and I'll overlook your little sins if you overlook mine. And we'll get along that way. <clears throat> when I was in high school, we didn't have enough people to make a good basketball team in those days, enough boys. And uh, so I never really learned to, to work as a team on the basketball court very well. And so I would practice shooting the ball and, and, uh, and so on, but never got very good at teamwork because I didn't have that kind of opportunity very often. When basketball And some of you know this a lot better than me. In the the game of basketball, there's a move called the assist. You know what I'm talking about? The assist. That means a simple way of saying If I get the ball to you, assist you, so that you can make a point, uh, you can score, then they give me what's called an assist uh, on my little um, chart or whatever. I have assisted you. Or if I, say, block a, 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 the opponent so that you can score, I've assisted you. There's, there's a man that would play basketball with us boys on top of the barn. Some of you remember those days. Over at Arremont Farm, and, and he was an expert at the assist. Somehow he, could, he had the vision to see the opportunities to use some of us that really didn't know what we were doing very well. Uh, to to make the game happen. He would he had the vision to see the opportunities as we moved around to to feed the ball to the right get at the right moment and you could score. And I loved to play on his team because he had that kind of vision. You know, I usually just sort of ran around and what happened did and and uh no strategy at all, really. But he had the vision to, to feed me the ball at the right moment, and there was the opportunity. I didn't see it, but he did. How could he do that? Well, he had vision of teamwork. He's seen the value of the assist. Even though someone else got the, the point, he's seen the value of the assist. That's what we need in our churches. That kind of an attitude, that kind of vision, That kind of teamwork. We need that gift in the brotherhood. where we have people who are longing to assist in the victory and the growth of another. Galatians 6 verse 2. Bear you one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are the household of faith. Galatians 6 verse 10. May we be assisting one another, encouraging one another on that straight and narrow way. May we catch the vision of serving the Lord together in teamwork. There's other things I could talk about, I suppose, and what willful isolation will do to us or tends to do to us. And uh, these are just some of the things that I've, I've thought about and even experienced. But finally, uh, the last one I want to talk about what willful isolation tends to do to us is that it hinders our witness to the world. Now I think we all understand we need to share our beliefs and our convictions with the unsaved. But unless those people around us see that we live out what we believe, or we say we believe, probably they will not be very impressed. We become, if we, if we don't live what we say, We're just another one of those religious people who have lots of high ideals, but really doesn't change the way we live. Let's turn to John chapter 13. Let's look at this one. Here's the words of Jesus. John 13 verse 34. a new commandment i have given unto you that you love one another as i have loved you that you also love one as i have loved you that you also love one another by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have loved one to another now i suppose there's many ways to witness to the world the words that you say are honesty for example our work habits and all those things they're, they're important we need to work at that but it's how well we get along with each other. Truly love one another. Can either make or break our witness. You see when I can't get along with my brother. And I isolate myself from him. Pull away. My witness loses its effectiveness. Because then. If that happens in my life. I'm really not that much different than someone else. At least that's what person of the world sees, because they can't get along with others either. Now, there is time in life that we need to part ways with somebody, especially when that someone insists on walking away from truth, walking the wrong path. But let's be very careful that this parting of a ways is not a result of a lack of love or that is a result of an independent spirit. The world is watching us. The world is watching us. And our love for each other has a major impact upon our witness. Some of you know Brother John Mills. About a year ago, he built a house. And it's one of those opportunities in which many people came together to make this thing happen. It was wintertime some rough weather and that house went up extremely fast because of all the help and there were people in our neighborhood that was just amazed because here's a group of people all working together for a common cause that's just something they had never seen before and that's the point i'm trying to make and it goes way beyond just building a house together the way we interact with each other the way we help each other encourage one another and able to work together makes an impact on the world. All right, we we've thought about willful isolation and how that affects us. Let's think about how brotherhood, true love, acts and works. And, and for this part of the message, I'd just like to simply read 1 Corinthians 13. Our time is running out, but I'd just like to read 1 Corinthians 13. And as we read this familiar portion of Scripture... Think about and compare uh, isolation versus brotherhood. And you'll find, as you think about that comparison, this chapter is full of, of, of uh, ways to reach out and to minister to others. Though I speak with the tongue of men and of angels and have not charity and become a sounding brass or tinkling cymbal, and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long in its kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, does not behave itself unseemingly. seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now know in part, but then shall I know, even as also I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. Remember, this is the way Christ loved us, you and I. As sinners, unworthy, and yet Christ gave himself for us. And We, can, we cannot love with perfection like christ did but we are called to love unconditionally we are called to be involved in the lives of others verses one through three we can do all these great things if we're able but if they're done without love with other motives and so on being the reason that we're doing them it's not worth anything verses four to seven love is practical takes a lot of patience to invest in the lives of people i mean look at all the faults look at all the inconsistencies look at all the aggravating habits you know i have them too i'm sure i do you know i have to think about jesus sitting down with his disciples you know what a bunch of guys i mean look at them look at all their weaknesses look at all their lack of maturity and their inability to understand what jesus was trying to teach them but jesus continued to love Love them to the end. Should we do no less? Remember there in John 15 where Jesus is talking about the vine and the branches and and how Jesus is the true vine. And without the vine, the branches all wither and die. Without that connection. Let's remember, as we think about that picture, that illustration, that attached to the vine Jesus Christ... Or many branches. All being nourished by the vine. And all needing the sunlight to grow. And all needing room to bear fruit. For the master. May you and I be supporting and encouraging one another. As another one of the branches. Living together in harmony. Encouraging each one. Working together as Christ intended. The church is not some club, some social organization where we get together to pat each other on the back and smile and then go back to the real world, our own little isolated islands until the next social occasion. No, the church is more than an organization. It's an organism living, growing, or it should be. It's the bride of Christ that he dearly loves. How sad it would be for the bridegroom if his bride were without an eye, without a hand, without a foot. A foot that was diseased and cast away. Or the eye and the foot not getting along. I'm convicted that there's been times that I have chosen to be too isolated, too remote from my brothers and sisters. A little little too independent. A little lack of love. May we be investors in the kingdom of Christ. John chapter 15. Uh, After Jesus talked about the vine and the branches, Jesus said this. John 15 verse 9. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. And verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Verse 17, these things I command you, that you love one another. And so for us here today, loving each other is not just a nice option, something nice you may do or may not do, depending on if you feel like it. Jesus commands it. It's a choice that you and I need to make. We cannot be His disciple without loving His other disciples. I think Jesus is clear about that. Romans chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. Romans 12, 9 and 10. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another in brotherly love, in honor preferring one another. And then the book of 1 Peter. And by the way we could turn to many other scriptures as well this is just a few 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 22 Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently So brothers and sisters this morning God has not called us to a life of isolation. He has called us to brotherhood, to fellowship. Again, as I said before, sometimes God calls people to work in an isolated place. For example, God has called some of us to a workplace in which we must live out Christian principles uh, kind of alone, and may we be faithful in those lonely places. But God has called us to fellowship where we Give and take among imperfect people, people who are just like I am. What a blessing to serve the Lord together as Christ intended. This calling to brotherhood is very practical. It affects how we relate, how we communicate. And by the way, looking somebody in the eye and really communicating is very important. In our world of high technology, why are we more isolated than ever? And I understand that communicating through a wire, or through the air, it has a place. But communication best happens face-to-face, person-to-person. May you and I catch the vision of brotherhood, the kind that scripture talks about. When one suffers, we all suffer with him. When one rejoices, we rejoice with them. I have a lot to learn about brotherhood. Well, it's time to close. Some of us tend toward isolation and independence. Maybe our personality. Maybe because of our past experiences. Or maybe because the way we're brought up and the influences that we had and so on. That affects us. And We all know that brotherhood and fellowship is important, and yet sometimes we struggle to make it happen. I don't think the answer for us is that we all suddenly have outgoing personalities and natural skill to communicate. I don't think that's the answer. But I believe the answer for us is to have the heart of Christ, to reach out beyond our natural comfort zones, because we love as Christ loved. In closing, 1 Peter 3, verse 8. Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. Be pitiful means be compassionate. Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. May we have the courage to invest. Be encouraged and have the courage to invest in each other. I believe this is what Christ intended. Let's have a closing song.